Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. The message in just a moment. Uh, tonight is First Sunday Prayer. If you've never been to First Sunday Prayer, you need to be at First Sunday Prayer. We love uh, the opportunity to gather together and pray uh, corporately as a church. So tonight from 6 to 7, we're going to be here at the church, and we'd love for you to join us for First Sunday Prayer. I'm excited, too, because uh, just recently um, there is someone who's going to be heading up and is organizing um, an intercessory prayer team for our church, people that are going to be praying in the prayer room for the services while the services are actually going on and praying for hearts to be open and for God's word to, uh, to really just settle with people um, and lives to be changed. And so I tell you that uh, so that you'll know that there are going to be people that are praying for you um, as the service is going on every single week. Yeah, it's awesome. And if you, if you feel like that's something that the Lord has, has put on your heart to do and you want to be a part of that, then you can let us know. We would love for you to be a part of that. It's going to be an awesome thing uh, that we're starting up at the church. Our, our group semester is beginning the week of September, and um, all of the groups are going to be available online by August the 20th. It's an 11-week semester that takes us up to the week of Thanksgiving uh, for our fall semester. And we want you to be in a group, or if you feel led to lead a group, we'd love for you to lead a group. You can go on the app, and you can fill out the, the leader form and submit that, and uh, all of your information will get uploaded online. People will be able to start signing up and joining your group. And we're just looking forward to a great semester of groups as we're in community together and learning and growing. Uh, those will begin the week of September the 3rd, so that's coming up quickly. And then also, the end of this month, on our... September the 17th, our church will turn seven years old. Come on, can you believe that? It's already been seven years. Be seven years old as a church. And uh, with that being said, we, we do 21 days of prayer leading up to that day. So on that day, we have a big celebration. Uh, that night, we have a night of worship um, on September the 17th. So we want you to go ahead and make plans to be here for that. It's going to be a powerful time. But leading up to that, we'll do 21 days of prayer. And uh, we don't, we, we're not going to fast during this 21 days of prayer. And somebody said... Amen. We'll save that for after the holidays when everybody has eaten way too much food and uh, we all need to fast. But, um, but we will have 21 days of prayer and we're going to be intentional. Even we'll have first Sunday prayer on September the 3rd and then September the 10th we'll be back for a night of prayer. And then September the 17th we'll be here for a night of worship. And so we're going to have intentional times that we're going to be praying together. Uh, times during the day that we're going to be stopping just corporately to just, um, to just go to the Lord in prayer together throughout that 21 days. We believe in prayer. We think it's important. We think that it's something that every single one of us need in our lives, and it's something that we neglect a lot of times because we're too busy. We don't know. Anybody ever, you, you just wondered, well, I don't know what to say when I pray. I don't know what prayer is. Well, we want to help you with that. So tonight at First Sunday Prayer, uh, we're actually going to be giving you, uh, for everybody that wants one, we're going to be giving you a physical prayer guide, and so you'll be able to have that um, it goes through all of, the, all of the different prayers from the Bible, ways that you can pray, kind of gives you some insight into prayer, and so we want you to have that, and uh, it's just going to be a great, great opportunity as we go through August and into September and head into the fall, and we're just excited about what God's going to do. Um, I want to take a moment, and we're going we're gonna to pray. Uh, normally, we would pray for another church, 
But, bef- but instead of doing that, uh, I want to pray for our students and I want to pray for our teachers. Uh, because around here, um, schools, some of you, I was, I, was seeing on, I was seeing on social media where some schools in Oklahoma, they already went back to school this last week. I'm like, y'all are crazy. <laughs> y'all done lost your minds. Um, but we are, around, <laughs> schools start this, uh, this next week, not this week, but most of them start next week. And I just want to take a moment and pray for all the teachers and all of the, the faculty and all of the students that are going back to school. Uh, it seems like the summer months just flew by. But uh, I want to pray for you. And uh, just believe that God's going to use you in a significant way if you're a teacher or you're a faculty worker or somebody that works at the school, that God's going to use you uh, to reach those kids in a powerful, significant way. And we're going to pray for those kids to have good attitudes. Come on, somebody, for, for, for nine months. They're going to be like little angels. And uh, they're going to learn and grow. It's going to be awesome. So will you just bow your heads? Let's say a word of prayer together. God, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come into this room and to worship you Lord, we don't take it for granted, and we don't take it lightly. We thank you that uh, we thank you for all of the people in this church, in this building right now, those that are watching online that uh, that are teachers or assistants or uh, administration, wherever they fall, wherever they land, wherever they work in the school system. Lord, we pray that you would bless them. God, we thank you that you're giving them supernatural strength and ability, just a, a re-energized passion. For these students and these schools in our area. God, I pray that you would use them in a significant way to reach those kids for you. God, help them to be a light. Lord, we thank you for the kids that are going back to school. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for their life and that you want to do something incredible in them and through them. Lord, I pray that even at a young age, they would see that and they would sense that and they would know that you have a plan for their life. And Lord, we just pray that your blessing would be over this school year and that you would do what only you can do. Um, in those little moments that we have in classrooms and in the hallways and at lunchtime and things like that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. All right. Well, I want to, I, I shared with you over the last few weeks that we've been in the season of, of messages where we're not in a series. Uh, we kind of stepped out of a series going through the summer, and then we've been in these me- individual messages, and I was joking with my wife. I said, I really should have. When I started looking back at all the messages that, that we've been uh, hearing and learning from and preaching, I thought, man, this really could have been a series all in, of itself, and we could have called the series Working on Me, because <laughs> I think that God has been working on us individually in some of these messages, that God's doing something significant. And I thought, man, why did I not have that idea to call this, you know, like we could have been in a series this whole time, but I think that God's been doing something, and, um, and I, I think he's going to do something again today. We're going to get very practical today. We're going to get very practical, and I think that God's going to speak to you. I think he's going to bless you, and uh, maybe you've known this, but if you look in, if you look in the book of Acts, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, but if you look in the book of Acts, if you've read the book of Acts, um, what's interesting to me is that Christians, you know this, Christians were not called Christians in the book of Acts. If you study the book of Acts and you read through the book of Acts, and it's the very first church when the church began, it's the day of Pentecost, and, and, and the church launches out, and people are laying their lives down for the gospel, and they're going, you know, and Paul's missionary journeys and all these things in the book of Acts, um, people were not called Christians that followed Jesus or people that were believing in Jesus. They were called followers of the way or people belonging to the way. Have you ever noticed this? People belonging to or followers of the way. Now, I want to read you, um, I want to read you several, several verses here just out of, out of Acts, and then we're going to jump into some points today. 
But this, this is a movement that Jesus started, and it was called the way. So look at, look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was, sit, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. If you look at Acts 19 and verse 9, But some of them became obstinate, they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. Acts 19.23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Acts 22.4, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Acts 24.14, however I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. In Acts 24, 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. The things written down in Acts that, that describe followers of Jesus or the first church, it was a movement. It was called the way. They were called followers of the way. They were called people belonging to the way. They were a part of action. They were a part of a movement. And here's what's interesting to me about this terminology. For something to be called a way, it implies that there is movement forward. If you think about it, I think sometimes... I'm not saying the word Christian is bad, and we use the word Christian a lot, but I think sometimes we like the word Christian because the word Christian doesn't involve me doing anything. It's me identifying with somebody. And I identify with somebody, but I don't have to do anything. And at the very first church, they were followers of the way. They belonged to a way. They belonged to a movement that Jesus had started, and he had left, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and now they are pushing this movement forward. If something's called the way, it implies that there's movement, there's action. And the first church was all about living out their faith, spreading it to others. The first church was all about making an impact. They weren't just concerned about their identifying with Jesus. They were about following him and sharing him. And we could say it this way, that there wasn't just an identification with Jesus, but because of Jesus, there was an entirely new way of life. There wasn't just a, I identify with Jesus. It was that because of what Jesus did, because of who Jesus was, we now have an entirely new way of living. There's an entirely new movement. There's an entirely new way that we are to operate and to live our lives. And as a Christian and a follower of Jesus or a person of the way, there's this call to action. There's this call to movement. There's this call to, if we could say it this way, a different way of life. A different way of life. Now, I've titled the message today, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, A Better Way. A better way. And I want to give you, I want to give you just a few things, a few areas of our lives that I think the Lord, um, I think that he gave us a better way. That there was a better way. Have you ever, for those of us that have kids in the room, you ever corrected your kids and given them a better way? You know, you were going this way and you were, you were thinking that decision was going to be good and I'm going to give you a better way, right? You hit your brother or sister, by, but using your words and having a conversation would have been a better way. Not getting physical. You ever corrected someone that you were mentoring and tried to show them a better way? You ever had somebody come to you and they were going to show you 
a better way. Like, that was good, but here's a better way. That was okay. You probably shouldn't have done it that way, and here's a better way. The decisions you've been making, they're all right, but this would have been a better way. Or have you ever had a conversation for those that own businesses or, or have employees, conversation with an employee to try to help them figure out a better way? And sometimes people that work for you, they don't want you to give them a better way. They just want to do their way. But you know that there's a better way. And when Jesus was living on the earth, here's what you have to know. Listen, listen. You have to know that he had a better way. And he was trying to explain and give examples and tell us about a better way. There's a better way. You've heard it. How many times have you read in the Gospels where Jesus would say, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it this way. You've been taught this way, but here's what I say. It's a better way. You think that that's okay, and that was good for the time, but let me show you a better way. A better way. One of the things that that Jesus did when he walked on the earth, he not only showed his disciples, but I think he showed us. There's a better way. There's a better way. And as a follower of Jesus, he's still showing us this better way. Now, I want to just point out a few things. I want to highlight a few areas of our lives where Jesus showed us a better way. So here's point number one. Jesus showed us a better way to handle our enemies. Woo! Jesus showed you a better way to handle your enemies. I want to look at this. This is in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. It says, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said. Here's one of those moments where Jesus says this. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Most of us, most of us would agree to the fact that Jesus said, love your neighbor. Everybody's, everybody, most people are good with that. Okay, I need to love God and I need to love people. I need to love the people in this church. I need to love people that are of, you know, the capital C church. I need to love other believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to love them. This is how the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus is by the way that we love one another. Most of us would agree with the idea of loving one another as believers because that's how the world knows that we're followers of Jesus, right? I can try to love you because you haven't hurt me. I, I, I can try to love you because, okay, you're somebody that Okay, really, we're kind of heading in the same direction, even though we don't always agree on everything. And so I can kind of wrap my mind around this idea of loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of us would also agree that prayer is important, and we need to pray for those that we love. Come on, how many of you pray for those that you love? You pray for your spouse, you pray for your kids, you pray for the people that are in your circle, you pray for the people that you're friends with, you pray for the people that you love, you pray for other believers, you pray for people that are maybe hurting or struggling and there's actually biblical instruction about that specifically. But how many of us struggle with loving our enemies? Well, Pastor Gabe, I can love the people who love me. I can love the people who have not hurt me yet. I can love the people 
that I know I'm supposed to love because they're, well, it's like, ah, they're a believer and unbeliever and Jesus said you need to love. You know, like Paul talks about loving and this is how we need to love one another and all of these different instructions in the Bible where we're called to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But Jesus not only said that, Jesus took it a step further. Jesus said not only do you need to love just your neighbor, he says you've heard it taught this way, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But here's what I would say, there's a better way. There's a better way. You don't need to, need to just love your neighbor. You need to love your enemies. And you need to pray for the people who persecute you. When Jesus was making this statement, there were real people who were really against him, out to get him, and would ultimately kill him. And Jesus is preaching this message, Sermon on the Mount, preaching to the crowd, and he says, here's what you need to do. You've heard to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy, but I say, no, no, no. You need to love your enemy. And you need to pray for the person who persecutes you. The word that Jesus used here for enemy is a word that means literally people who hate you. Because maybe you were sitting here you're like, well, you know, define my enemy. You're like, the, you're like the rich young ruler. It's like, well, tell me who my neighbor is. You know, like, well, who is, like, who is it really? What does he mean by enemy? He means people who hate you. People who are hostile against you. And here, I like this one. Come on, you're going to like this one. People who want to inflict harm on you. You know what Jesus' instruction was? You need to love the person who is trying to inflict harm on you. Don't just love your neighbor. Don't just love the people that are of the same faith as you. Don't just love the people that go to church with you. Don't just love your family members. You need to actually love your enemy. You need to love the people who are against you, and who want to inflict harm on you. When you have thoughts about the person who is deliberately against you, do you remember that you're actually called to love and pray for that person? When you think about, because I know in a room like this, there's a lot of you that you have that person in your mind right now. You can see their face. You can see their face. It's like if they were here right now, I would, I would just punch them. That's how you feel. You can see their face, you, like you have their picture in your mind right now. You know what Jesus, if Jesus was sitting right next to you, you know what Jesus would say? How are you doing with loving and praying for them? Whew. We like to talk about them. Mm. We, like to, we like to gossip about them. <laughs> we like to talk behind their back. Well, that's my enemy. They're out to get me. They're out to harm me. They're intentionally trying to do things to harm me. And so we gather, come on, we gather our people together. And we talk about all the people that we don't like. And what Jesus would say is, are you loving them? Are you praying for the people that don't like you? Are you praying for the people who are literally out to get you? who want nothing to do with you, who intentionally, listen, who intentionally try to harm you? Are you praying for those people? The temptation, isn't it, is to retaliate. Well, they did that to me, and so I'm going to get them back. Well, they did that to me, and so I, I'm going to cancel them. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> they did that to me, so I'm going to cancel. I'm going to cancel them. The better way of Jesus is to love and pray for them. And we can retaliate, we can cancel people who would be considered our enemies, or we can choose a better way. And we can love them, 
We can pray for them. So here's my question before I go on to the next point. Who do you need to show love to and pray for? And you're, th- you're thinking about them right now. As soon as I started saying somebody who's out to get you, somebody who doesn't like you, somebody who's against you, somebody who is deliberately trying to wreck your life, who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to, on Monday morning when you're having your quiet time, who do you need to get up and say, I'm going to pray for them? I don't want to, but I'm going to pray for them. And here's what's interesting. Here's what happens. The more that you begin to pray for somebody, the, it gets a little bit easier the next time and a little bit easier the next time. And here, check this out. And, and when the day comes that maybe they apologize to you or if they never apologize to you, but you see that maybe they experienced the love of God in their life or their life changed or whatever, then you'll be able to look back and think, man, I'm so glad that instead of trying to retaliate and tr- instead of trying to get them back, that I took time to pray for them. Because that's a real person with a real soul yes. and a real eternity. Yeah. And Jesus says, you've, you've been taught this, to love the people who love you, but to hate the people that are against you. What I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't just speak this instruction. He actually lived it out. He actually loved the people who were out to get him. So who do you need to show love to and pray for? Here's point number two. Jesus showed us a better way to handle those who hurt us. Those who hurt us. Anybody ever been hurt in your life? Anybody ever been hurt by somebody close to you? Somebody that you were in relationship with? And they hurt you. And Jesus shows us a better way to handle the people who hurt us. Look at a few verses with me. We'll go through these fairly quickly. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Look at Matthew 18. Before we get there, Jesus has just finished speaking on how to handle sin and conflict and when when you're offended. Somebody who has sinned. And you see a brother or sister in Christ and you're like, man, they're going down the wrong path. They're going down the wrong way. And he has just spoken to that, okay? He's just spoken to that. He says, go to the person individually. Take a few people with you. Bring it to the church. And then Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Immediately after, you know Peter was sitting there in the moment listening to Jesus talk about this. When your brother sins against you, go to them and point it out. And if they listen to you, then you've won that person. If they don't, then go find a couple people. We did an entire message on this. Do you remember this? We did an entire message on Matthew 18 in this one little section. And then take some people with you. Like, pray about it. Get a couple people. Hey, we need to go have a conversation. I've noticed this in their life. This is what's going on. And then it says, then you bring it to the church. Jesus has just finished teaching on this. And Peter comes up and asks the question. And here's what it is in Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will say 70 times seven. Jesus has just taught on going to that person who has sinned against you, and Peter comes to Jesus and asks the question, okay, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? 
How many times should I forgive someone who hurts me? How many times, check this out, should I forgive the same person who keeps hurting me? Should I forgive them seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. And Jesus is not necessarily coming up with a number that whenever you hit that number, it's like, whew, thank God, forgiveness is over. (laughs) We would like for him to say that. Jesus is getting at the fact that you just need to be somebody who forgives. This is what, he says, this is what followers do. They forgive. And I love Jesus because Jesus lived it out. He didn't just say it, but he actually showed us what it looked like. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then Jesus gave us an example and I love this in Luke 23. He says, says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus is hanging on the cross. The people who hated him and were out to get him, they have killed him. I mean, they're watching him die. And Jesus' response is, Forgive them. Forgive them. Because they don't even know what they're doing. And I love this about Jesus because so many times in Scripture, Jesus not only gave us the instruction, but you can look at the life of Jesus and you can see where Jesus actually lived this out and gave us an example of what it would look like to do this. When we think about forgiveness, there are a few things I think that we can all agree on. I think that we can all agree that we want forgiveness from God. When we think about forget, when you think about the term forgiveness, and you think about forgiveness in your life, we would all say, "I want, I want God to forgive me." Some of us struggle to believe that God can forgive us, but we all want God to forgive us. We all want forgiveness for how we've hurt people in our lives, but we sometimes struggle with extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Many of us in this room, we would. We would say, if we were being honest, like, yeah, I want, I want God's forgiveness. I know that I have messed up. I know that my life is not what it should be. I want God to forgive me. And most of us in this room would say, I want to be forgiven. I know that I did that person wrong. I know that I shouldn't have talked about them. I know that I shouldn't have acted that way. I know that I shouldn't have done that. And I'm just hoping. Nobody, nobody likes, if we're thinking about ourselves, nobody likes when you want to be forgiven by somebody, but they won't forgive you. We all want to be forgiven. We want to be freed. We want to to feel like, okay, everything's okay, everything's good. But why is it that we struggle so much with extending forgiveness to other people? Well, you just don't know what they did to me. They killed Jesus. Here's, here's, Here's the thing about forgiveness. A lot of times we hold on to unforgiveness and it turns into bitterness in our lives. And we're not hurting anybody else except ourselves. 
why did Jesus put so much emphasis on you need to forgive? Why did Jesus tell parables about you need to forgive? This is what it looks like to forgive. This is how your heavenly father has forgiven you. This is what you need to do for other people in your life. You need to be people who forgive. It's because we, we, are, we bind ourselves up when we refuse to forgive. And I get it. I get it. What they did to you was wrong. I, I get it. You're like, Pastor Gabe, you don't really get it. I, I don't know what has happened to you in your life. But man, if you think about it, you holding on to unforgiveness hasn't really hurt anybody else except for you. You're probably not even affecting the person who did the thing to you. But you are living your life bound because you will not extend forgiveness for what was done. Jesus told a story once about this very thing right after this is, this is all in the same chapter. Right after Jesus answered Peter's question in Matthew 18, he immediately goes into this story. And he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Isn't it interesting that we do that? We do that very thing in our lives. We may not physically grab somebody and choke them, but we are trying to choke the life out of them. I am not going to forgive you because I want you to pay for what you have done to me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a picture of God forgiving us of way more. And did you catch the amounts? Jesus is making the point that you have been forgiven of so much more than what anybody owes you. You have been forgiven of so much more than what anybody... Forgiveness for you was an eternal thing. That you have been forgiven of all of your sin, but somehow we still feel okay with holding on to unforgiveness toward people in our lives. And Jesus says, why did you go, after you had been forgiven, why did you withhold forgiveness from that person who had done wrong to you or who owed you something? One of the points I think Jesus is making in the story is that there isn't anything that another person can do to you that will exceed what we owed God. There is nothing that anybody else can owe you that will ever exceed the price that we were supposed to pay. And God forgave us. 
Some of us have been set free by God, but we keep ourselves bound up because we won't forgive. We tend to put people in categories. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this point, that we tend to put people and what they've done to us in categories, don't we? We categorize things. Well, one category is people that we feel okay with forgiving because maybe what they did wasn't that bad. And another category is people that we don't want to forgive because of how they hurt us. Well, I can forgive one person for lying about me, but I can't forgive the person who cheated on me. I can forgive one person for wrecking my vehicle, but I can't forgive the person who abused me as a child. We tend to categorize people and what they've done to us, and we make decisions based on the categories. As I'm okay with forgiving this because it was a small thing. But I can't let go of that one. And we feel like if we offer forgiveness that we're letting that person go, we're letting them off the hook, and we're saying, we feel like we're saying that what they did was okay. You're not saying what they did was okay. You're not saying what they did was okay. You're really letting yourself off the hook. So that you can walk in the freedom that God always intended for you to have. And we keep ourselves bound so often. When God said, I've set you free. If you'll extend forgiveness to that person, you'll actually be able to walk in freedom. You'll actually be able to breathe again. I think that some of us don't even realize the health issues. And the things we have going on in our lives that are being affected, being caused, being magnified by the fact that we just won't forgive. And I think there are many of us that we would see, I mean, it would be like a breath of fresh air. If we would forgive that person, release ourselves from that. You know what forgiveness is? You no longer owe me. Isn't that, what, isn't that what God did for you? He sent Jesus so that you could receive forgiveness. And what does God say? You no longer owe me. Jesus paid for it. We have to learn to be people that forgive. And I know it is easier said than done. But here's the reality. Jesus showed us a better way. A better way than holding on to all of that allowing it to eat us from the inside out. Here's the reality. When we compare what others have done to us with what Jesus has forgiven us of, our reasonable response is to be people who forgive one another. If we would stop categorizing what people have done to us and whether or not we want to forgive, and we would hold everything in light of what Jesus did for us, okay, here's what Jesus freed me from, and here's what Jesus did for me, and here's what this is, it will never, never That's the point of this parable. It never matches this. And because it never matches this, and because you've been forgiven of so much, you freely offer forgiveness to people in your life. I think that we can hold a grudge and we can destroy our lives from the inside out, or we can choose a better way. We can forgive. And so here's my question before we go on to this next point Who do you need to forgive? And just like the first point, and you had a picture of somebody in your mind, chances are really good right now that you have a picture of somebody in your mind. 
And the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. It says, just forgive them. Just forgive them. You don't have to walk around bitter. Come on, here's what unforgiveness and bitter, bitterness, it, it, it affects how we treat other people in our lives. It affects how you treat your spouse. Some of you may even struggle with how you treat your spouse and your kids because you are holding on to unforgiveness for what somebody else did to you 10 years ago. And today God's saying, let it go. If you'll let it go, if you'll forgive from your heart, you will experience a freedom in your life. You will love better. You will engage better. Man, forgiving people, it changes so much about you. It's not just about you letting somebody off the hook. It's about you freeing yourself. Man, as long as you've got unforgiveness in your life and bitterness in your life, the enemy has a hold on you. And anytime you start to feel like you're moving forward, the enemy will remind you of what that person did. And it'll all come back again. And you know where you need to be? You need to be at the place to where when the enemy tries to remind you of that, that you can just say, I've already forgiven them. I've already let that go. I've already moved on. I was talking to one of our one of our overseers. It's been a couple of months ago, and he had had a uh, he had this terrible car accident probably three four years ago. Um, honestly, could have could have died. I mean, it was it was really really bad. Head on collision, driving down the highway. Was in the hospital. Had to do rehabilitation on a leg and ankle. All of this stuff. And I was asking, I was riding, we were visiting them, I was asking them as I was riding in his truck, I said, do you ever get timid or nervous driving down the road thinking about what, what happened? And you know what he said to me? And I thought to myself, that's a, that's a beautiful picture of how we need to live our lives, especially in this area of forgiveness. He said, I really don't think about that anymore. Because God healed me and I'm moving forward, and I've got, this is what he said, he said, I've got too much to look forward to, and too much that God wants to do in my life, and through me, to keep thinking about that, many of you, listen to me, many of you, you cannot step into what God wants to do in your life, and the next thing, and the freedom that he wants you to experience, because you keep focusing on that, and it doesn't mean that what that person did or what happened to you or whatever, that it is okay. It just means I don't want to stay there. I don't want to keep living my life timid because of what happened to me. I want to move forward. God's got a great plan for your life. But sometimes we hold ourselves back because we're holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives. Here's the third one. Jesus showed us a better way to lead people around us. He showed us a better way to lead the people around us. Matthew chapter 20. I want to start in verse 20. We'll go through verse 28. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right, and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, talking about the other ten disciples, okay? Just put yourself in this moment. Jesus is there, all the twelve are there, and James and John, their mom comes along, and they go up with their mom to Jesus. And Jesus is like, what do you need? And she's like, well, I've been thinking. Everybody else is, you know, like, they're, they're, they're okay. They're cool. Peter, cool guy, you know. But my boys, what is it going to take for one of them to sit on your right and one of them to sit on your left? What is it going to take to get them a position in heaven with you? And Jesus says, can you, can you do what I'm about to do? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can. Jesus knowing, okay, you're going to endure some things. But that's not for me to decide. Those places have already been prepared in heaven. And then look at, what, look at what Jesus says when he calls them all together. It says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. In other words, they're ticked. Like, you two pulled Jesus off to the side by yourself to try to get a position? Really? We're going to try to get a position now? And this is what Jesus says. He calls them together. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our culture says that leadership sees leadership as position and power. These brothers, they go with their mom to Jesus seeking position and power. What is it going to take for us to get in this place, in this position? And Jesus, after this conversation, knowing that the other ten disciples are mad at these two, calls everybody together and he says, let me teach you something. Come on in, Jesus is so good at this, pulling people together. It's like, hey, listen, like right in here. Listen, let me teach you something. Everybody out here sees leadership as position and power, and they lord it over people. They try to make people scared because they have the power and they have the position. They hold it over people's heads that this is the place that I sit in and you don't sit in this. But he says, it's not going to be that way with you. And while our culture sees leadership as a position of power, Jesus sees leadership as serving. Our culture says, get a position, get some power, get some people working for you. Jesus says, no, serve people. You want to be a leader? Serve people. You want to be great? Serve people. You want to be first? Put yourself at the end of the line. It's this idea of servant leadership. Our culture sees leadership as rising to the top. Jesus sees leadership as getting low. I heard somebody say one time that, that rising with Jesus always starts with a trip down. We, we get low. We humble ourselves. Jesus himself even said, I didn't come to, here's your example. I didn't come to be served. The reason I'm here is to serve you. The reason I'm here is to show you a better way. 
The reason I'm here is to actually lay my life down so that you can have life. And I want you to go and do that same thing for other people. I want you to lay your life down. I was thinking about what Jesus would say because I think sometimes we we I think sometimes we struggle with this. We struggle with the idea of serving other people. And here's here's what I think Jesus would say if if you're too good to just putting this contextually in in our situation. If you're if you're too good to open a door for somebody. If you're if you're too good to listen sit in the floor with some kids and tell them about Jesus. If, if, you're, if you're too good to show up on a Saturday and serve a meal to somebody who's less fortunate, I think that, I think that Jesus would, would say this, if you're too good to serve others, you're not really a leader. If you're, if you're too good to serve others, you're not really... Is this too real today? These guys come to Jesus and say, we want a a position. Can I I tell you something? I don't don't want us to ever become a church of position. We don't have people in positions. We have people who serve. Even our team leaders are people who serve. When When we have events, when we have outreach... A lot of times I will message our team leaders and say, here's how you can lead our church right now. You can show up and serve at this event. You can lead the way by being here and letting people see, oh, that's what we do. We serve. We serve other people. Who do you need to serve? Who do you you need to be willing to? To even lay your life down. The, the first person, if you're married, come on. The first person you ought to be serving, other than God, you ought to be serving your spouse. Jesus right. said, you want to know how to lead your spouse? You want to know how to lead your family? Serve. You want to know how to, what it looks like to be a leader in the kingdom of God? It looks like somebody who's willing to serve. Bring the worship team back. That's what we want to be about. We want to be servant leaders. When was the last time that you led by serving? When was the last time that you saw a need and you led the way in meeting that need by serving? Because being a servant leader isn't about a title. It's not about being comfortable. Sometimes, sometimes we seek our comfort more than we seek serving others. Is that not true? Anybody like being comfortable? Anybody glad that this is an air-conditioned room with a chair that has four inches of foam under you, some fabric on it? (laughs) Some of y'all are like, yeah, it's definitely air-conditioned in here. We, We just, it's our natural tendency to just want comfort. You know what I think Jesus was trying to teach us? He said, I understand that you want to be comfortable but I've got a better way. You know what's the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do in your life? It's when you serve other people. There was nothing like being there yesterday 
serving people. And you walk away and you think, man, four to 5,000 people walked through here. And they were touched by somebody in some way. They were ministered to by somebody in some way. There was a seed planted in somebody in some way. And you walk away. Have you ever, have you ever served? We would, we would show up. Um, we would do our Christmas outreach. And we'll show up at this Christmas outreach and love on people and serve people and pray for people and give things to people. And you walk away and you're like, you just, you feel like on the inside, you're like, this is what I was made to do. This is what I was made to do. And Jesus would say, you're exactly right. That's what you were made to do. Serve one another. Use what you've been given. Use the gifts that you have. Use the talents that you have. Use the ability you have and the personality you have and whatever that is to serve one another. And Jesus would say, hey, there's a better way than seeking a position or seeking comfort. And that better way is to serve the people around you. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I'll ask it to you in this way. How can you begin to lead others by serving? How can you begin to lead others by serving? So using this terminology from the book of Acts as followers of the way, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're followers of the way. We're Christians. We're believers. We're followers of Jesus. What are we going to do? We're going to love our enemies and pray for them. We're going to always forgive those who hurt us. We're going to lead the way by serving others. We're going to love our enemies and pray for them. Come on, who do you need to begin loving and praying for? Who do you need to go home today and say, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to do this differently. There's a better way. There's a better way. Show me how to love them and teach me to pray for them. Who do you need to forgive? We're going to be people who always forgive those who hurt us. I'm not going to be bound by unforgiveness. And I'm going to extend forgiveness and live freely following Jesus. And I'm going to lead the way by serving other people. I'm going to lead the way by serving other people. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. I want to pray for you. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. If you need prayer for anything in your life, we do this at the end of every service where if you, you don't have to be a member here, you don't have, this could be your first Sunday here and you got something going on in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, your job. It doesn't matter what it is. We all need prayer from time to time. And when the worship team begins to sing this last song, we're inviting you to just step out of your seat. Come receive prayer. Allow somebody to pray over you, pray with you, encourage you in whatever it is that you're walking through. But I want to pray for you because what I want the Lord to do with the Holy Spirit and what I want Him to do in this last song is I want Him to really speak to your heart. That if there is somebody that you need to forgive, that you need to write a letter or you need to make a call or you need to, you know, maybe you can't do any of those things, but you need to go home today and you need to just sit with the Lord and say, okay, show me how to forgive this person. That you're going to become a person who just forgives. Just what you do, you forgive my prayer is that we would always be, and you do a great job at this, you really do, that we would always be people who serve, who serve. We got people serving all over our church right now because we get this. Jesus said, no, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So Lord, right now, 
We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray in these next few moments as we sing this song and as we worship you, we lift our hands and we lift our voices, God, that you would do something in our hearts today. Lord, that you would change us from the inside out today, that you would reveal things to us that need to be revealed today so that we can deal with them and move forward in following you. And Holy Spirit, I pray if there's any person here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, that you would draw them for prayer in Jesus' name.